we're running a little behind today. So uh, know that uh, that doesn't mean that we are going to take some time away from the Word. So, But to let you know that if for some reason you need to use the bathroom or just stretch your legs, feel free to do so. I won't be salted as people get up and walk around. Or, But uh, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. For those that are visiting, we're going through 1 Timothy right now. It's a series that we've been doing. And uh, we're looking at verses 3 through 16 today, the instruction for the care of widows. And so that's where we are today. Um, yes, the, the, the text here is regarding widows, but I think you'll find there's a lot of practical things in here that we can apply, uh, not just to us as a church, uh, but also to each of us individually too. But I'm um, just going to read one verse for you. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but it's in James Chapter 1, some of us are familiar with this verse. Verse 27, it says this, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The Lord will bless the reading of His Word this morning. Let's just open in prayer. Our Father, we thank You again. For your word, we thank you that it's eternal. We thank you that your spirit uh, revealed these things to, um, to men who wrote these words down um, so many years ago. And we're thankful for the ministry of your spirit today in illuminating these truths into our hearts and to our minds. And so, uh, Lord God, we pray for understanding. We pray also that we would see you, Jesus. Um, this morning, even in these uh, words here regarding instructions for widows. And Lord God, that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of you, Lord Jesus. So we ask all these things that you may be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, First Timothy chapter 5. So we see here is the first problem the early church faced is also a modern one. Okay, a group of church members were neglected by the ministering staff. We see that in Acts chapter 6, right? From the very beginning, the, the early church faced the same problem we face today, is that there are people, uh, members of the body of Christ, who are being neglected, being neglected. And so from the very beginning of its ministry, the church had a concern for the believing widows. We see that in Acts chapter 6, as I said, but also in Acts chapter 9, verse 39. But of course, the nation of Israel they had sought for the care of widows as well. And God had special legislation to protect them. I'll just read you a few verses. <laughs> Excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18 says, He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Deuteronomy 24, 17 says, You shall not pervert justice, do the stranger or the fatherless, nor should you take a widow's garment as a pledge. Isaiah 1, 17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. You see, God's special care for the widows is, re is a recurring theme in the Scriptures. Deuteronomy again, 14, verse 29 says, And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates, they should be able to come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand 
which you do. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, he says, I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord God of hosts. And so it was only right, okay, that the local church show compassion to these women who were in need. You see it all throughout Scripture. However, Paul lists qualifications that a widow must meet if she is to be supported by the church. Okay? And so the first thing we're going to look at is the older widows, and then we'll look at the younger widows. And first of all, I want us to take note of a widow's condition, and then secondly, we're going to take note of a widow's conduct. And so there are five qualifications here that Paul lists for us. And the first one is this. She needs to be alone. It's the first qualification. It says, without human support. Beginning in verse 3 of 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says, Honor widows who are really widows. Honor here is in the pre, as in the present tense. So it's saying you continually honor widows who are really widows. It has in it the idea of properly appreciating the value of someone and of paying that person the respect, reverence, and honor due her by reason of her value or her position. Paul, by this phrase here, really widows, right? He actually means those that have no one. There's no one around to care for them, love them, provide for them. And how do we know that? Well, look at verse 4. It says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. You see, if you want to this morning act in a piety or godly or Christ-honoring way, in terms of your family, if you have a mother or a grandmother that is in need, you need to step in and do what God has called you to do. You repay them, for this is good and acceptable before God. In other words, we don't just wash our hands and say, I'm not responsible. Now today, you may not be responsible legally, but the Bible says that you and I are responsible spiritually for our families. In fact, he uses an interesting word here uh, in verse uh, 4 when he says, let them first learn to show piety. First, there is interesting. It means that we have the first responsibility. We are the first line of provision, stepping in and caring, loving, and meeting the needs of our parents, our grandparents. And so here again, we're talking about Paul is telling Timothy, listen, there are those who are in need. They're going to come to you. They're going to want need from the church. But the first thing is this. If they've got anybody, no, no, we don't take care of them. That is the job of their family. And so that's a tremendous instruction for all of us here today. Not necessarily for Brantford Bible Chapel, but for each of you individually. If you've got a mother, if you've got a grandmother, you are responsible to take care of them if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian. If they have a need, 
You don't say, hey, mom, go see your church, <laughs> okay, or grandma. No, it's your responsibility. James, it's our responsibility. We have to take care of mom, okay? Okay. <laughs> And so, yeah, that's the first qualification is they have to be without anybody, okay? If they have children, if they have grandchildren, okay, they're responsible to take care of these widows. There's an interesting phrase here. I wanted to go into this more, but I'm just going to quickly share it. Is It tells them, right, these, these children and grandchildren, if they want to show piety at home, okay? Listen, it is very easy to have church religion, or even a prayer meeting religion, or a Christian work religion. But it is altogether a different thing to have an everyday religion. To show godliness at home, all right, is one of the most vital parts of Christianity. Don't just come here on Sunday mornings and look like you're godly. Don't do that. And then you go home and you treat your spouse differently, you treat your children differently, you you don't act godly. Okay. Let us be those who are pious at home as well. Okay? Godly at home, not just in front of other people. Okay? Here on Sunday mornings. But when Paul says in verse 5, he says, Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. When he says in verse 5, Now she who is really a widow, he means she is left alone. There's no children. There's no grandchildren. In fact, I believe in verse 8, which a lot of us are familiar with. um, A lot of us have heard this verse many times. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, it's almost as if Paul is implying that this widow here doesn't even have any extended family. Forget children and grandchildren, because he says to provide for your own as well as your own household. It would seem as if this widow is truly left alone. She is really a widow. There is no one there for her. Now remember, women didn't have the choice of careers that they have today. Remember, their society in that day did not have the kind of institutions that we have today. Pensions, social security, retirement homes, etc. You can see how important family care really was. Of course, the presence of such institutions today does not relieve any family of its loving obligations. In Exodus, we are still told to honor our father and our mother. And it certainly doesn't excuse us from caring for one another here either. Just because, you know, Donna has children and has grandchildren. She may not be 60 yet. We're going to get to that in a second. I'm trying to help you out, Donna. It doesn't mean that when Donna says, hey, listen, I need you to take something to the dump for me, I go, hey, listen, call your kids. Right, Donna? We still care for one another. Okay? We're specifically talking about widows who are looking for care from the church, from the church itself. We're going to get into that a little bit. Okay? But certainly the Things are different today than they were back then for them. Family was extremely important. In fact, he says in verse 8 that if you don't provide for those of your own, and especially for those of your own household, your parents, your grandparents, you have denied the faith. 
You're worse than, as the King James says, you're worse than an infidel. The new King James cleans it up just a bit and says you're worse than an unbeliever. Note verse 16, which I know is all the way down at the end there. We're going to get to that. But it says, if a believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. Let them give aid to them. And do not let the church be burdened that they may relieve those who are really widows. And so really what Paul is saying is, let the natural family do what it should. And let the spiritual family do what it should. There was a missionary, she's not home with the Lord. She came home from the field to care for her sick and elderly parents. She was severely criticized by some of her associates. They would say, hey, we should love God more than father and mother. But she remained faithful to their end. Then she returned to the field for years of fruitful service, knowing she had obeyed God. A tremendous testimony. Right? Here she left where God had her, where she was working to come and to care for her sick parents. Right? Because she knew it was biblical. It was her responsibility. The real widow is one who is really in need. She is left alone. No relatives to support her. No source of income or encouragement. That's the first qualification that Paul gives us here. Okay? Is that she has to be without any human support. The second thing is this. She has to have an allegiance to God. An allegiance to God. She has to have someone who she has to be someone who has a faithful testimony. A faithful testimony. Okay? So, well, what does she do if she is left alone? Well, she does what we all do, right? She trusts in God. As we read there in verse um, verse five there. Okay? The fact that she trusts in God, it means that she has a continuous confidence in God. Some translations say she has fixed her hope on God. Two, it says that she continues in supplications pleading for the Lord's provision and supply. It says she prays night and day, which is a metaphor describing a person who prays continually. In other words, here is a widowed woman who is a prayer warrior. Right? Someone who has thrown her whole life upon God to step in and meet her needs lest she die. By the way, in that particular culture, nothing was more tragic than that you would be a single woman with no male in your life. Even more so if you were an older woman because the prospects for marriage were next to zero. So, you can picture an older woman, no male in her life, right? Here is someone who can only depend upon God. She can only depend on Him. And, of course, the family of God as well. And so I believe godly widows are a spiritual powerhouse in the church. I've been blessed to grow up in the church, experienced how the, the, the body of Christ works. And let me tell you, they are the backbone of prayer meetings. These widows, right? We've seen them here, even at Brantford Bible Chapel, right? 
They, they give themselves the visitation. They teach the young children in the assembly. They are the spiritual powerhouse in the church. But look at verse 6. It says, But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Hmm. Now in contrast, right, um, if she lives in pleasure, right, if she lives in indulgence, if she is the type of person who does not walk in a way that is honoring to God, she is dead even while she lives. You see, I believe if a widow in your assembly is not godly, she can be a great problem in the church. She will demand attention. She will complain about what the younger people do. And she will often gossip. In fact, what Paul is doing is he's actually drawing a stark contrast, demonstrating all the more reason why we should care for this lady who qualifies. He's saying, here you've got someone, a widow, who has nobody. And she is devoted to God. That's the person we want to take care of. We don't want to take care of this person over here who is living for themselves, living in indulgence, not walking in a way that pleases God. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's giving more reason why you should care for this woman over here. He's given us two reasons already. Not only is she alone, but her allegiance to God. He says she's faithful and she needs to be supported. This woman here is not cut off from God. She is a godly prayer warrior and rightly can expect the assistance, aid, love, and care of her brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 7, he says, And these things command that they may be blameless. And that's why Paul says it in verse 7. That's why he says that. That we in our provision for them may act in a way with integrity, honor, above reproach, and bring no scorn or shame upon the body of Christ because the world takes better care of theirs than we do ours. May that never be. That's the point that Paul's making. Shame on any church that does not step in and meet the real, genuine, legitimate needs of these that he describes as widows indeed. Shame on us if we don't. And so not only does she need to be alone, not only does she need uh, to have allegiance towards God, but also she has to have a certain age. Look what he says here in verse 9. He says, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. She has to be at least 60 years old. Now, a woman this age was not likely to get remarried in that day, though 60, right, is not considered that old today. Right? It says here that... Um, it says, do not let her under 60 and be, and be taken into the number. Okay, That phrase there literally means to be enrolled and to be put on a list. Okay, The word was actually used for the enrollment of soldiers. And so it seems as if the early church had an official list 
of names of qualified widows. And we get the impression that these enlisted women, they ministered to the congregation in various ways. And so if you were a widow, you had no children, no grandchildren or extended family to provide for you, you came to the church and said, hey, I need your help. I need to be put on the list of those who will have the church provide and meet the basic needs of life that I have. And so Paul says, let's be practical. First, you can't be younger than 60. Okay. Now, I don't think Paul would not allow someone who was 59 years old, okay, with no children, grandchildren, or extended family to be taken care of by the local church. But what I think is what he's saying. Using a general number like 60, he's saying that the older women should be considered. The younger women are not to be considered. In fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit as to why not to consider the younger women. But what kind of older women should the church consider taking care of then? So we already know that they need to be alone, right? They can't have children, grandchildren, extended family that can take care of the needs. They need to be uh, loyal to God, devoted to God. They need to be this general age. They need to be older, right? But then Paul says this, okay, if that's true of all those things, then also they need to have an acceptable marriage, okay? That they had to have a good marriage record. And you'll see this here in verse, uh, the end of verse 9, that she has to have been the wife of, of one man. And so he begins by saying she has to have the reputation and the track record of being the wife of one man, which is interesting, right? It was the same exact requirement that we already looked at for an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3, right? She must be the wife of one husband, literally a one man kind of woman. She has to have a track record that she has been a faithful, loving wife. So that's interesting too, right? So she may have her husband has passed away, but if Paul tells Timothy, hey, listen, if if she did not have a good marriage, if she, you know, there wasn't a good track record there, uh, or maybe she was divorced, or maybe she had multiple husbands, or whatever it was, he said, nah, that disqualifies him, okay? She needs to be a a one-man kind of woman, if she wants to get received care from the church. And the last thing he mentions, <clears throat> so again, uh, we have, she has to be alone. She, uh, allegiance to God. Her age has to be 60 years old. She has to have an acceptable marriage. And the last thing is an attestant of good works or a witness of good works. Verse 10 here says that, She has to be well-reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. That's a lot there. And so now he brackets here in verse 10, right, a number of things, because I want you to note that he starts verse 10 off with good works, right, and then he also ends with good works. So everything he sandwiches in between these two phrases here in verse 10 are examples of or a witness of good works. So one of them is this. She has brought up children. So she has to be a faithful mother. 
Now, this could refer to her own children, right? Or to orphans who needed a home. Remember, if this refers to her own children, then they would have most likely died already because she has no one to care for her. Right? So here's a woman, man, imagine this, is that not only did she have an acceptable marriage, but she was a faithful mother who lost her children. She's lost her husband, she's lost her children. Okay, there's no one to take care of her. Right? And she's asking for the church's help. Okay? Otherwise, the church would not support her if she had her own children, because they would be responsible for supporting her. It could reference here to the practice, which was typical too, of rescuing abandoned children and raising them to know the Lord. Okay? So this woman could have been someone who, yep, she has no children, or maybe her children has passed, uh, but she also rescues children. She takes in orphans, right? Raises them uh, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so that, as Paul say, would be an, an attestant of good works for her. But not only that, it says that she has lodged strangers. Okay? So she has been a generous and gracious host to those that needed a place to stay as they were traveling about. Okay? Also, in that context, she says, they says she has washed the, the feet of the saints which really was the idea of total hospitality, okay? So not only did she put them up, but she fed them, she washed their feet, she washed their clothes, she took care of them in terms of their total necessities and did it with great hospitality. It was not beneath this woman's dignity to take the place of a humble servant. And this was an important ministry in those days, okay? Travel was extremely dangerous, Okay? And a safe place to sleep was scarce. And so she had a tremendous ministry in taking people in as they traveled on their journeys. And then lastly, he mentions that she has relieved the afflicted. In other words, she is a merciful lady. She would feed the hungry. She would care for the sick. She would encourage the sorrowful. When there are those who have been hurting, she did what she could. Um, and, and, and this is why Paul says that we should repay her in the same kind of way. Here was a woman who her life was spent that way. She cared for people. She showed mercy to people who needed it, and now she needs it. And so Paul says we should repay her in the same kind of way. In other words, she did for others in terms of ministries of mercy we now should likewise turn back and repay her as well. She cared for the church, so now the church can care for her. And so, of course, therefore, right, if she has diligently followed every good work in all these things that he has just listed, then she should be put on the list. This list of widows who needed care. And then we would let the spiritual family do what it should. And then uh, Paul talks about the younger widows. The younger widows, he says here in uh, verse 11, but refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation, because they have cast off their first faith. <clears throat> now the younger women's, the younger widows that he's talking about here would technically, right, be the women that are under 60 years old. But no doubt, again, Paul had much younger women in mind 
Because it was not likely that a 59-year-old woman would bear children if she remarried, which is one of the instructions he gives in a little while here. Okay? So he definitely has some younger women in mind, but the general number is 60. He's talking about those who are younger than that. Okay? Remember, <coughs> excuse me, the dangers of travel, the ravages of disease, war, and a host of other things would rob young wives of their husbands. Many young wives lost their husbands. Okay? So all these things that we had mentioned. Okay? But Timothy is forbidden to enroll these younger women and to put them into the care of the church. Why? Okay. Well, I like to, two things. We're going to look at the reasons for refusing them, and then we'll look at um, requirements for the younger widows. But first, let's look at the reasons for refusing them. He says, because if they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, okay? interesting phrase, isn't it? It means to feel the impulses of sexual desire. You learned something today. Okay? All right? It's talking about their passions. It's talking about their normal, natural, sensual desires. Okay? And drive begins to draw them away from Christ. And so they desire to marry. Now, to marry is not a bad thing. In fact, later on, that's going to be one of the requirements. He's going to tell them, hey, marry. But in this context here, he's saying, listen, they're going to have this desire, this sensual desire that they have. They're younger women. They're attracted to the males, right? And he says, it's going to, you're going to want to marry, and it's going to draw you away from Christ. Okay. Now, it says here that in verse 12, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. So Paul, why is it a big deal if they marry? Well, it seems in verse 12 there that Paul is implying that each of these widows they enrolled, that they were enrolled, they pledged themselves to remain a widow and to serve the Lord in the church. Okay, so picture some of these younger widows coming in saying, hey, listen, I have nobody. Um, I want to be put on the list. And um, if they were put on the list, um, they were to, in a sense, pledge or make a vow that, hey, listen, I'm going to remain a widow, okay, and I'm just going to um, serve the Lord here in this local church. And so um, there, there seemed to be some kind of agreement between the widows and the church that they would remain widows and serve the Lord. And it would seem that these younger widows would come to the church and say, put me on the list. I will be a widow for the rest of my life. I am never going to marry, and therefore I am going to give myself, like Anna did in Luke chapter, in, in Luke, I think it's chapter 2, okay? I'm going to give myself to the Lord full time in total consecration. I will serve him with all that I am. He, in essence, will be my bridegroom, and therefore I will serve Christ and Christ only. I will take a vow to maintain this commitment. And what Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying, hey, listen, that may be good and fine, but if they are like most normal human beings, right, they in their loneliness will want company. Okay? And being a normal woman, they will want the company of a male, especially if they are young. And so they have made this commitment to Christ, 
But as time goes on, they will become interested, and in essence, they will deny the pledge that they made, and they'll go back on their word. And in essence, Paul is just saying, hey, listen, it's better to not even put them on the list to begin with. That's what he's saying. He goes, we know how people are, especially young women. He said, listen, don't even put them on the list. He says, refuse those younger women because we know their tendencies. We know the natural uh, way that things are. In verse 13, he says, and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Paul also makes it clear that younger widows if cared for by the church. And what that means is that they would be financially taken care of. Right? He says that they would have time on their hands. He says, and they would get involved in sinful activities. They would get in the habit of being idle instead of being useful. They would go from house to house indulging in gossip and be busybodies. And so here there's a definite connection between idleness and sin. And Paul warned Timothy against using the charity ministry of the church to encourage people to be idle. The church certainly should assist those who really need help, but it must not promote sin. Uh, Before James Garfield, before he went into politics and became president, he taught at what is now called Hiram College in Ohio. And so um, Garfield would amuse his students, he was actually uh, ambidextrous. And so he, uh, what he would do for his students, he would write on the chalkboard with both hands. Okay? One in Greek and the other in Latin at the same time. Okay? And it is said that on one occasion, a father came to Garfield and complained that the academic course at the school was too long and arduous and asked if he could, it could be shortened. Certainly, Garfield replied, But it all depends on what you want to make of your boy. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes hundreds of years. When he wants to make a squash, he requires only two months. You see, in a world filled with people looking for shortcuts to success and ways to avoid work, we are called by God to work patiently, diligently, and consistently. Regardless of what those around us do, we have the responsibility to labor and to work hard. This is the only path to true and lasting success. And there are no shortcuts in God's economy. So there's a tremendous lesson here, even when it makes the instructions regarding widows about idleness. And so here then he gives requirements for the younger widows. He tells Timothy, hey, refuse them, but tell them these are the things that they should do. Okay? And it says here in verse 14, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. Well, Paul, right, how do you now prevent these young women who are not married from being gossips and busybodies and idle? All these things that he said is their tendencies, right? He says in verse 4, he tells us exactly how you'll do it. He says, get the young women to marry. (laughs) Marry, bear children, and manage their house. Okay, Uh, The word manage their house means to manage family affairs or to rule 
their house. Okay? And so we all know that God has given roles in the marriage and that man is the head of the home. But it's very clear in Scripture that the women are really good at ruling their household. Okay? There are times when uh, my wife has gone away. She actually left me this year and went to Florida for like four or five days. Okay? And I was responsible for food and laundry and housekeeping, the house up and things like that. And I realized that I am not good at managing my house. Okay? That my wife is really good at managing the affairs of my house. And so any husbands have had that experience where your wife is going away for a little bit, I think you know what we mean, right? Is that they do it very well. And so what Paul is saying here too is for a wife who marries, bears children, and manages her house, he says the result of this is a good testimony that silences the accusers. Okay? When he says here in verse uh, 14, to uh, give no opportunity to the adversary. It's not talking about Satan there. Okay? That word adversary actually means any human being who sets himself against Christianity. And let me tell you something. The world today is looking for any reason to refute what we believe in. And they're going to definitely look at the home. They're going to look at how you conduct yourself in your home. And Paul is saying a great, a great thing here is that wives... As you manage your house in a way that's honoring to the Lord, you actually silence the critics. You shut their mouths. It's a tremendous verse. A Christian wife, in fact, the word opportunity here, give no opportunity, actually is a military term that means a base of operations. And so, in other words, a Christian wife who is not doing her job at home is creating a base or an outpost from which an adversary is able to revile Christianity or speak reproachfully against it. You see, the world is always looking for charges to hurl against the Christian testimony. And Paul says that a Christian wife bearing children and managing her house guards against the possibility of there being any such legitimate causes to speak reproachfully. It's a tremendous testimony. And then in verse 15, what the apostle has been saying about young widows, right? It's not mere speculation, right? He's saying it has already happened, right? There, he says, some have turned aside to after Satan. In the sense that they have listened to the voice of Satan and have chosen to live in disobedience to the word of the Lord. Now again, I don't know what that means. One example is there very well could be maybe some of these younger widows have decided to remarry and they married a non-believer. I don't know. But that would be an example of those who have turned aside now towards Satan. They've disobeyed what God has said. And so finally, verse 16, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. Do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. So how does this principle apply to Christians today? Certainly, we must honor our parents and grandparents and seek to provide for them if they have needs. We have to. But the obligation is for relatives 
to care for their own. Not the churches. Relatives, you are obligated to care for your loved ones so that the church is free to care for those who are actually widows. In other words, those who actually are in need. Okay? Those who don't have anyone. And I believe that the length of this paragraph, it's a lot, quite a few verses given to widows. I think the length of this paragraph shows that it is an important subject in the mind of the Holy Spirit. And yet, it is one which is greatly neglected in most church circles today. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask for your help uh, regarding these instructions in caring uh, for those in need. We are thankful uh, for our parents. We're thankful for our grandparents. Lord God, even there may be some here who did not have godly parents, <laughs> did not have godly grandparents. Uh, but Lord God, but they still raised us. And um, Lord God, they are due um, the honor uh, that, is, they, that is due them. And, uh, but Lord God, we also are thankful for those um, amongst your church too, uh, women who um, have served you, have been loyal to you uh, and to your church their whole lives and have get to a point in their lives where um, they have no one, no husband, no children, no grandchildren, no extended family, and uh, they do have needs. And so Lord God, shame on any of us who uh, do not see the obligation that we have to care for those that you have given to us. And so, Lord God, help us in discerning these things, uh, who really are widows and who aren't. Uh, and Lord God, certainly uh, help us in caring uh, for those who have those needs. Uh, Lord God, thank you again uh, for those you put here in this assembly. And uh, Lord God, again, pray that each of us um, would uh, be faithful in caring uh, for one another here. And so we just ask these things, giving you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.